I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Remember when government cared about the dignity of people? In the United States in 2019, has humanitarian aid become a crime? Has cruelty against defenseless people become policy? Why would anyone choose to attempt to cross a huge desert where temperatures often reach 100 degrees or more? Add to that the risk of arrest arrest for being an undocumented person on top of that, and why would people who are already safe American citizens take a risk and volunteer to go deep into the unwelcoming parched desert scrub to try to help migrants stay alive with food, water, and shelter? And what is this trial coming up? The government pressing charges against these risk-taking church-oriented humanitarians? Well, it's all part of the Trump administration's what looks like racist war on people from the south of the border trying to escape deep poverty and violence and better their own and their children's lives and become Americans. On the other hand, do we really want wide open borders? Is it not necessary for government to try to actively discourage undocumented migrants? As UUSC's senior grassroots organizer, Hannah Hafter supports a broad network of activists, volunteers, and United uh, Unitarian Universalist congregations around the United States to take action for immigrant justice, resisting criminalization, always grounded in grassroots partnerships. Hannah Hafter is our guest today on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me here. Hannah has also served as coordinator with No More Deaths, an Arizona border justice organization. She coordinated volunteers providing emergency services to asylum seekers and recently deported migrants and spearheaded research and advocacy work to address abuse in U.S. Border Patrol detention facilities. Yeah, we've seen that. Hafter has also served as a human rights accompanier with Network and Solidarity with the People of Guatemala. Well, again, thanks so much for being with us. I, I heard about this effort uh, attending a local Unitarian Universalist church. Tell us about No More Deaths. What is it? What are the problems they're trying to address? What is the mission of No More Deaths? Um, thank you. I've been involved with No More Deaths since 2007 and currently am um, supporting solidarity work with the humanitarian aid workers who've been charged uh, with crimes for providing basic aid according to the policies of No More Deaths. Um, the organization's mission is to end death and suffering in the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. Um, and the forms that that takes include direct humanitarian aid, literally leaving water and food on migrant trails. Um, for many, many years, there was a um, Red Cross-level um, emergency camp uh, where medical services were provided, but that's had to close because of the threats 
to the camp by Border Patrol, um, and then work um, both providing emergency services and documenting abuses with um, people who've just been deported uh, in Nogales, Sonora, right across the border from Arizona. Um, Another project of No More Deaths is called Keep Tucson Together, and it's specifically focused on um, working with undocumented families in the Tucson, Arizona community um, to be able to prevent deportations. Uh, you know, I want to note that it's not just wandering in the desert. It's a well-developed system where we've mapped where uh-huh. human remains are found and get water to where it's needed the most. Uh, that sounds good. And I, I never thought of uh, Red Cross as any kind of uh, you know subversive organization before, but they they too had to stop their work. That's that really says a lot. I mean, they tend to be pretty pretty conservative at the very least. Any guesses to about how many migrants have died or disappeared along those desert trails? It's hard to give a real answer to that. The only thing we can say with confidence is that over 7,000 human remains have been found over the past 20 years. Um, But as far as who has actually died or disappeared, um, academics who've tried to study it estimate two to five times that number. Um, the majority who are reported disappear are never found or identified. Um, they could have potentially lost their lives en route in Mexico as well um, or been forced into trafficking and could still be alive. Um, but for the remains that are found, uh, we're talking about really brutal conditions in really remote settings. So when volunteers find remains, it can be just like a skull or bones that have been scattered by animals. Mm. And so... Um, remains uh, disappear very quickly in the desert, and we don't have real numbers to know the scale of this tragedy. Many thousands of people. And, and uh, yeah, I've heard about uh, what happens to uh, corpses in the desert. They do actually disappear. Tell us uh, what one thing they do is the search and rescue hotline. What is that? Yeah, for a couple of years, I was actually answering that hotline. So, I can tell you just how heart-wrenching it is when a family calls you looking for someone who's gone missing. Um, Sometimes it's a call from a mother who received an actual phone call from a cell phone from her son who was left behind from a group because of blisters on his feet, and he made it to the top of a mountain to get signal. And by the time we're trying to do a search, um, that phone signal has died and can't be used to locate him. Um, Other times it was just knowing that someone went missing and they'd been crossing in a general area or just that they disappeared for weeks and they had no idea if they'd been detained or been in the desert or had even made it to the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, So part of what the volunteers uh, responding to the search and rescue hotline do is search and detention, um, which is getting much harder now with all of these um, off-the-map uh, immigration and custom mm. enforcement facilities and the tent cities that are being built. It's much harder to locate people if they are detained. Um, and then we work uh, also with the Calibri Center for Human Rights to identify uh, remains through working with families to get DNA samples um, when remains can't be identified um, based on any uh, personal features. And and one more question uh, before we get to this upcoming trial, which is of interest, about how many people are with the uh, UUSC, the Uni- uh, Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, doing this no more deaths work? 
Um, so No More Deaths as an organization is fascinating because it's entirely volunteer-driven, right. and it is a ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Tucson, um, but there are people involved who are not themselves Unitarian Universalists. Sure. Many yeah, yeah. people are driven either by spiritual or religious conviction or by um, just their personal humanitarian values, um, but there's at least 60 to 70 people in the Tucson community that are involved, mm-hmm. and um, through UUSC, we've mobilized hundreds of supporters to um, either go to the border and work with No More Deaths and other organizations doing um, this kind of uh, humanitarian aid or to um, get involved in the campaigns in defense of um, the workers who've been targeted. And I do think a lot of people uh, want to do what they can uh, to to, uh, try to address this humanitarian crisis. All right, there is, this is what sparked my interest hearing about this trial coming up soon. Who is Scott Warren, and what are the charges against him? What's the status of that trial? What's it all about? So Scott Warren is a university professor who lives in Ajo, Arizona, which is a small community um, way out into the Sonoran Desert, um, close to the Cabeza Prieta Wildlife Refuge, where um, the highest concentration of human remains have been found recently. Um, He's facing uh, three felony charges, two counts of harboring and one of conspiracy that um, could uh, result in a total of 20 years um, imprisonment. Um, There were eight other volunteers, um, and then Scott as a knight, who were also charged with um, abandonment of personal property on a wildlife refuge, uh, specifically for leaving water out um, for people who were crossing the border um, on that wildlife refuge. Um, The thing to keep in mind is that he did not physically move people. He didn't even help them find their way. He brought them food and water. in a location that they believe that they were secure, and he did not report them. Um, so what's occurring here is part of a pattern nationally. Um, we've seen a lawyer in Texas who um, stopped by the side of the road to help people in distress um, and was arrested. Uh, we've seen a judge in Massachusetts uh, be charged because yes. of allegedly um, allowing somebody who was uh, hearing a drug possession case in front of her to exit through a back door because ICE was sitting at the front door. And so we're now seeing this trend of criminalization of anyone acting humanely um, towards uh, undocumented migrants or asylum seekers. And uh, this is really an extension of the criminalization of migrants themselves, that their whole existence is criminalized. And anyone who dares to see and treat them as human um, is at risk of being criminalized as well and facing these kinds of charges. That is interesting charge. So for for leaving jugs of water, they said that was what discarding property. It's like littering or something. Abandonment <laughs> of personal property. Yes. Abandonment of personal. The fascinating thing yes. is that the abandonment of personal property charge was invented in order to charge the no more deaths volunteers on this particular wildlife refuge. Um, in order to get a permit. Uh, volunteers or anyone just going out to camp or to hike um, has to sign an agreement. And they changed the agreement in the wildlife refuge within the year before this to say that um, they were agreeing not to abandon any personal property. And this this um, piece was added because of no more deaths volunteers leaving water in the desert. So it was actually um, an intentionally targeted new rule that then enabled these charges to be filed. Fascinating. Boy, they do get creative. And what, what is the timetable for this trial? 
Um, so uh, Scott Warren just had his misdemeanor trial around abandonment of personal property, and the um, verdict has not yet come out. Um, and then the felony trial starts at the end of this month. Um, and so we are calling on the district attorney to drop the charges, um, both because humanitarian aid should never be a crime and because this is a selective um, prosecution. Selective prosecution. Boy, we've seen that in the past with the I believe that was the case under Richard Nixon, who was a total amateur compared to this uh, orange guy we have in the White House now. Just my opinion here. Could it be coincidence that Scott Warren's arrest came just hours after No More Deaths published a report critical of Border Patrol that documented evidence of Border Patrol agents systematically destroying jugs of water? systematically destroying jugs of water left for migrants crossing the desert. Is there reason to think Border Patrol arrested an activist to get back at his organization for making the agency look bad? There's no question that what happened was more than a coincidence. Um, the Intercept has done some really excellent investigative reporting on this and has gotten some information through Freedom of Information Act requests. And um, that very morning when the abuse report was released by No More Deaths, um, there was an email sent out from the top levels of um, the Tucson sector at Border Patrol um, informing agents in the area that this was happening. Um, and at the same time, uh, there are text messages between uh, the Fish and Wildlife um, officers and the Border Patrol officers, uh, clearly indicating that they were very excited to find an opportunity to arrest a No More Deaths volunteer um, and that they had been looking for this. And so um, I definitely recommend anyone interested in that uh, to read more in The Intercept. Um, but there's no question that uh, this was a retaliation on No More Deaths based on that research um, being released. And uh, also it's to set an example for uh, further volunteers to reconsider doing this work. Um, and we know that doing this work is life-saving, and that means putting people's lives at risk. Well, it seems that, I mean, they're pretty clear about it. The whole idea of, of allowing people to die in the desert is uh, is trying to be a disincentive to people coming here. Meanwhile, they're letting people die in the desert. So tell us about this, this report. Uh, wh what did it say and what bothered uh, the uh, Border Patrol authorities so much? What Tell us about this report. Yeah, so No More Deaths has been um, documenting abuses by Border Patrol since uh, 2009 with um, the first report was called Culture of Cruelty, um, and it systematically documented with uh, interviews with over 12,000 people who'd been in Border Patrol custody and deported, um, just uh, enormous rates of physical abuse, of verbal abuse, of failure to provide food and water, um, of things that um, were psychological abuse to a degree that met the definition of torture. Um, and so uh, there's been a standoff around these issues with No More Deaths and Border Patrol for many years. Um, this report that came out the morning that Scott Warren was arrested was specifically focused on the way that Border Patrol destroys um, water jugs that are left in the desert. There were over 400 incidences that have been recorded systematically across a very wide swath of desert of the jugs being destroyed in a very specific way. 
um, of being uh, stabbed from the bottom of the bottle. Um, and so any argument that these were random ranchers doing this, um, they just simply wouldn't have had access to this range of the desert, this period of time, and this level of consistency in how drugs were being destroyed. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We are keeping democracy alive. Our guest today is Hannah Hafter, who works with uh, No More Deaths, uh, the Unitarian Universalist uh, Service uh, Organization, to uh, try to uh, fight against excessive Border Patrol enforcement. And I, I wonder about the Border Patrol. And, and it just seems, I mean, to stab the bottom of a water jug, it just seems so childish and intentionally cruel. But do they have a legal right to do that, to destroy the water jugs? Isn't that part of their mission? What What is their mission, actually? Yeah, I mean, to speak of childish and cruel, we have come across places where we wrote encouraging messages with rocks to people who might be in danger, and they reorganized the rocks to um, form a penis. So it is clearly a situation where um, there is a lot of um, immaturity and childlessness. Um, in terms of the mission of Border Patrol, uh, No More Deaths and, and the management of CBP have had an agreement for years, um, and that agreement is being violated, uh, that they would not interfere with humanitarian aid. Um, and I've just looked up the mission because it's not something I knew offhand, and it says... The Border Patrol's mission is to safeguard America's borders, thereby protecting the public from dangerous people and materials while enhancing the nation's global economic competitiveness by enabling legitimate trade and travel. So there is nothing there that talks about preventing vulnerable asylum seekers um, from being able to seek safety according to international law, because anyone who's seeking asylum is not violating the law by um, entering U.S. territory and asking for protection, right? It says protecting the public from dangerous people and materials. Dangerous people. Um, and there's nothing there that talks about preferring death over someone actually making it. Dangerous people. Well, they, they, a lot of them are of darker skin, so hey, I guess that's it. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be that cynical, but geez, it sure looks like that. No More Deaths has worked openly since 2004, uh, well before the Trump administration. They previously enjoyed a friendly relationship with the local U.S. Attorney's Office. That's interesting. How, uh, talk about that, please, and how is it now with the U.S. Attorney's Office? Um, U.S. attorneys are appointed, and so the current U.S. attorney in Arizona is appointed by the Trump administration and is clearly in line with the anti-immigrant policies that are coming out of this administration. Um, it's up to the U.S. attorney to determine whether to pursue the charges in court, um, even if Border Patrol or Fish and Wildlife have made an arrest. Um, the U.S. attorney determines whether this is something that um, mm -hmm. they're going to take to trial, and they have decided to come full force against No More Dust volunteers. Of course. Well, in the past, as I understand, charges have been dismissed and convictions overturned. I wonder if you could tell us about this and if things look markedly different now with regard to these things, charges dismissed and convictions overturned. Yeah, well, about five years ago, I was present for the trial against Imris Staten, who was a No More Dust volunteer facing conspiracy to litter charges, um, which meant working with other people to plan to leave water in the desert. 
Um, and there was a jury uh, jury selection pool, and the prosecutor actually asked, is there anyone in this jury pool who would on principle be unwilling to convict someone doing humanitarian aid for um, for leaving water? And one by one, people would stand up. One said, I'm a f- former police officer, and I cannot um, convict someone in good conscience of this as a crime. And everyone who said that they wouldn't um, was dismissed from the jury. And so he was um, convicted for conspiracy to litter, um, but that was eventually overturned at the circuit court. Over t- oh man, I wonder if they if the uh, when they you know seat a jury if they'd still uh, question that. One one story that's uh, really interesting, and you know, radio and TV always likes uh, hot, exciting adventure stories. The raid on the barn. Tell us about that, please. What was the raid on the barn, and and questions about its legality. Yeah, so my understanding is that the day that Scott Warren was arrested, his plan was to give a tour and a talk to a group of college students. Um, And instead, uh, he ran into two people that had been crossing the desert for days that were lost from their group and were medically compromised. Um, And so um, at the time that Border Patrol was... uh, monitoring and decided to raid the barn, um, it had happened very suddenly and they did not have a warrant. And Scott had um, raised the fact that they didn't have a warrant and told them that they didn't have permission to enter personal property and they continued on anyway. Um, So yes, it's very much a question, uh, the legality of that raid altogether. What was, what is the barn? Um, the barn is a space that is literally an old sort of um, abandoned property uh, out in the desert where um, it's publicly generally known in the Ajo community that if um, someone is crossing the border and in distress, it's a place that they can stop for some respite. And sometimes they do that uh, without ever connecting with any support. And sometimes Mm. uh, they do connect with volunteers who provide food and water um, according to the standard protocol out in the open. I I read that in the months leading up to the operation uh, on the barn, volunteers with uh, no more deaths had observed a marked shift in Border Patrol's tactics. Tell us about that, please. Absolutely no question that um, Border Patrol, which was already operating with impunity in many ways, um, really has taken the Trump um, era to be a free-for-all where the standard laws of um, treatment of other human beings do not apply to them. Um, One of the things we saw before Scott Warren's arrest was a raid in 2018 on the No More Deaths camp, um, which had previously um, been an agreement that um, it was a site that Border Patrol was not uh, monitoring or entering. Um, And uh, in that raid, they actually followed people who were in distress, and rather than detaining them and providing them with food and water, um, they waited until they got to the No More Deaths camp in order to conduct a a very intimidating raid with agents on horseback. And um, clearly this was with the intention to uh, intimidate and to disrupt the work and not uh, just with the intention of detaining people, or they could have done that before they even reached the camp. Yeah, it does seem to be a pattern that uh, cruelty, you know, why just enforce the law if you, you know, could also be cruel about it and, you know, rearrange the rocks there and just be 
it, it's astounding to me. I never thought America would be like that. I I, I must say, and I, I'm wondering, you know, why migrants would choose to enter the U.S. this way, which is so perilous. Uh, and I, I, I've heard, and I'm sure you know more about this than I do, that that at the normal border crossings that people are denied the ability to even declare that they're seeking asylum. So they're like forced to go into the desert. Is that, you know, is, is, is the newly militarized border, and it is newly militarized, designed to funnel people into the desert? I mean, why, why would migrants cross such dangerous territory as the Arizona Sonoran Desert? Um, it definitely depends on what you mean by newly militarized, because this is not new from the you know recent um, president. It's really something that's been happening since the uh, late 1990s. Um, in between 1996 and 2000, there was a 1,000% increase in deaths in Arizona and Texas. And the reason behind it was that the safer, more urban areas where um, crossing the border was occurring um, had been built up with uh, the wall and enforcement, um, but they intentionally uh, left open the Arizona desert, um, and this is through Operation Gatekeeper. Um, so it closed off all of the um, easier crossings and uh, left the most dangerous areas open as supposed deterrents. Um, they also built checkpoints far into the mainland so that um, people who were crossing uh, had to go further and further, walking for easily 10 days, 12 days, um, as far as the access to um, apply for asylum at the border, um, that's really a big shift we're seeing is most people who are coming now are from Central America and seeking asylum for um, dangers that they're facing at home. Um, and if they go to one of the ports of entry and try to request asylum, they're going to be told that they have to sign up for um, what is called metering. Um, it's a list of everyone waiting for asylum. Um, it's an illegal list. Uh, the Border Patrol doesn't even manage the list. They basically told the Mexican officials that they had to keep a list, and every day they would say the number of people they were willing to take to seek asylum. And, um, you know, some days they're taking 12, sometimes they're taking 30, some days they're taking zero, but there's literally hundreds and now um, over 1,000 people waiting in multiple points along the border Um for their turn on this list. And so, of course, people who are scared for their lives in Mexico um, are not going to just simply sit there and wait for their turn mm. and um, are going to try to find another way to get into the United States. So it does, it, there's sort of this bizarre method to the, to the madness. And, of course, people escaping uh, places like El Salvador, Guatemala, and, and other places, a lot of the problem is the, the drug gangs and the incredibly repressive uh, regimes that have come into being largely because of the United States policy. Uh, you know, the U.S. You know has a nod and a wink and supports these these guys, and uh, a lot of the people are in fact terrorized. And so Trump saying, "Well, we're going to cut off aid to these countries," it's almost like they want more migrants to be forced to come here and to go into the desert. It's just it's it's astoundingly cruel. I just I just never thought. America uh, would be like that. And you mentioned that this a lot of this isn't so brand new under Trump uh, and that migrants dying in the desert is not brand new. What was it like under 
Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. How different was it, or wasn't it? Um, well, first of all, I really appreciate you bringing up the point of the root causes of migration and the way that U.S. foreign policy has contributed to the reasons yeah. why people have felt forced to leave um, their home countries, because I don't think we talk about that enough, and I don't think we talk enough about the fact that any kind of solution um, means addressing this U.S. Uh, interventionism and also uh, supporting the um, autonomy and the solutions of everyday Hondurans, Guatemalans, and El Salvadorians. Um, so I want to thank you for raising that. Um, moving into the question of what this policy was like under previous administrations, um, it's been consistently uh, militarized and increased surveillance. Um, living in the border zone, you experience drones flying overhead. Um, there are helicopters that lower in people's backyards in Aravaca, Arizona, where the sand is... Um, flying up and making it impossible to walk outside. Um, the, if you live on the U.S.-Mexico border in, um, in Arizona, uh, it can feel like you're living in a war zone. Um, just to drive between Tucson and Nogales and back, you have to go through a Border Patrol checkpoint um, where you're questioned. Um, and so all of that was true under previous administrations. Um, and even now, uh, as much as we talk about the um, – how ridiculous the idea of um, putting billions of dollars towards building a wall is. Um, a lot of the mainstream Democrat response is that we should have a smart wall, that we should use these technologies as the way to prevent people from entering, rather than um, questioning the notion of enforcement being the primary mechanism for uh, dealing with the kind of humanitarian crisis that's happening in um, Central American countries and that um, then reaches our border. Um, but really, the border is where the crisis begins. No, for sure. I mean, absolutely. Anybody who's looked at all at uh, you know American participation in uh, Central America since oh, the World War II, you know, just put in terrible repressive regimes there. Of course, people uh, uh, want to get out. But uh, back to well, how long before we get to back to the Warren case? How long can a journey through desert scrub last? I mean, they they, they cross the border. And then they're going somewhere, you know, I assume there's like an end to the journey, like where they're relatively safe. Any idea how long that perilous journey can take? Um, so because of the increased militarization of the border and the checkpoints that are set up around on the routes that um, would be driven to go north, um, it is uh, no question that it would take a minimum of 10 to 12 days for an able-bodied, healthy individual um, to make it to a place where they could be um, picked up and able to uh, travel north. Um, the truth is that um, when people are crossing the border, often they're starting walking in Mexico. Um, it's not that they get dropped off just south uh -huh. of where it becomes the oh, United true. States. They're yeah, walking yeah. already by the time they get to the U.S. Um, and then uh, the number of days walking, it's literally impossible to bring enough water to drink. Um, so mm -hmm. if each gallon of water mm -hmm. is eight pounds, um, probably the most that anyone could carry is three to four gallons, and that will not last you um, through the first days of this. I mean, especially when this is occurring in um, July and August, when we're talking about 115 degree temperatures mm. in the desert, um, it's virtually no way to have enough water. And so as a result, people are drinking water from cattle tanks, um, which is contaminated. Uh. 
um, and it can lead to further dehydration if it causes um, vomiting and diarrhea, and it's um, just really horrific circumstances um, to be trying to survive in. I just, I'm trying to picture grown men, and I suppose women, but I don't know, stabbing water knowing that it's going to make people die you know, and suffer. It just, it's so bizarre to me. I know I keep coming back to that. I guess I'm so naive. It's just hard to believe. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We are doing what we can to keep democracy alive. That's the name of the show, Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is Hannah Hafter of the uh, No More Deaths Border Justice Organization. We're talking about uh, uh, excessive uh, border patrol actions and, and legal situations. An article in The Intercept, and you've referred to that very, very informative uh, publication, says that once in custody, and again, this is back to the case that's coming up soon. Once in custody, the migrants allegedly told law enforcement that Scott Warren had provided them with food, water, clean clothes, and beds to sleep in over the course of three days. Well, is this not aiding and abetting criminals? Is that not a charge there? I think the most important part to keep in mind is that U.S. law does not require us to report people who are undocumented. Um, that would be a Gestapo-level um, situation. Uh, so even though Warren was providing food, water, and clothing, um, there's nothing about that inherently uh, that would mean abetting, aiding and abetting. And I actually want to challenge the whole notion of criminal because we don't know the nature of right. someone's circumstance when they're crossing the border. Um, the percentages that the Border Patrol provides of uh, the number of criminal uh, of people with criminal records sure. crossing the border includes people who've been charged with crimes of illegal entry and illegal reentry in the past. So they're virtually creating criminals in order to then add them onto their statistics of criminals. Um, and so we really want to question the notion of um, someone uh, crossing simply uh, migrating being a criminal act. Good point. Um, it's yes. only recently that that has started getting criminal charges of illegal entry and reentry when previously um, it was treated as a civil violation um, that didn't come with any kind of uh, charges or mm -hmm. risk of prison time. That seems a little more realistic. Uh, now, Warren's lawyers are arguing that the government's case amounts to an attack on their client's religious freedom. That's interesting. We've seen things like that uh, during the uh, Vietnam War protest days. Tell us about how the argument that what the government is doing is attacking his religious freedom. Um. Well, it seems pretty basic to say providing food and water for people that are hungry and thirsty is fundamentally an act of faith. Um, and that can come from any organized religion or that can come from someone's personal spirituality. Um, from my organization, the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, we actually worked with No More Deaths to organize an event that we called Faith Floods the Desert and brought over 50 faith leaders, so ministers, rabbis, 
um, to go out into the desert and provide water on Cabeza Prieta Wildlife Refuge, the same area where the nine volunteers were charged with um, the abandonment of personal property. And uh, for that event, we were very public about it, very vocal, and uh, none of the faith leaders uh, faced those charges. And um, they all spoke to the origins in their religious traditions uh, to be able to provide water to the thirsty. Um, and uh, that's also part of the selective prosecution argument is oh. that Warren was targeted because of his affiliation with No More Deaths as an organization that has made public statements about abuses by Border Patrol, whereas the faith leaders that uh. came out were not um, facing similar, similar charges uh, for the exact same action. But that sounds like a very interesting and uh, important uh, initiative, too, the Faith Floods the Desert initiative uh, by, by uh, religious leaders. That's uh, really interesting. And, and, you know, obviously there's been a lot of uh, religious-led protest in the past to various different government policies. And one of the uh, people, there's very interesting characters who are involved in this on the government side. There's Agent John C. Marquez, who described Scott Warren as an active volunteer for No More Deaths, who organizes and recruits college students to aid in supply drops and speaks publicly on immigration issues. Whoa, how dare he? The government in the past has had, as a common practice, targeted specific people who are part of groups they don't like. They target them as leaders who need to be taken down. There's lots of cases of that in the past. There was something just on uh, television about uh, Fred Hampton, who was taken down as a member of the Black Panthers back in 1969 because he was seen as a leader. It, it, is, it, does this apply to Scott Warren as well, do you think? You know, one of the things that is really inspiring me about social movements today, and this is very true for No More Deaths, is that um, they are leaderful. They are not leaderless, um, and they're non-hierarchical. And so um, you can't take down a particular leader in a way that will inca incapacitate the organization. There are too many people who are taking responsibility for different pieces. Yes. And so um, in the case of Scott Warren, um, there may be an intention to right. bring down a leader, but that isn't how it works in practice with no more deaths. Um, but what it does do, do is send a message to everybody doing this work um, that they're sure. choosing to take this risk. And um, I think we're in an era where uh, we have to really grapple with the, um, the risks that we're choosing to take to stay involved, and particularly for those of us that are not um, facing criminalization based on immigration status or based on our race. Um, it's extremely important for us to be willing to take these risks and to continue doing this work, um, because while there are risks, there's so much less to us than to people who um, are seen as criminal just for who they are. The whole idea of taking down leaders uh usually backfires, quite frankly. It turns them into uh, martyrs and, and helps recruit for the other side. But they don't seem to get that. What is known about communication between U.S. Border Patrol and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services uh, ready to the, relative to this case? Um, so there is a long-standing communication between Border Patrol and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services around the work of No More Deaths, uh, leaving supplies on the Cabeza Prieto Wildlife Refuge. Um, and so this didn't begin with Scott Warren. As I mentioned earlier, they actually changed their permit policy to require anyone to sign and say that they would not be um, abandoning personal property with it, with the 
purpose being um, to target no more deaths volunteers. So we don't see cases of this scale um, being uh, prosecuted by the U.S. attorney for um, people who actually litter on the wildlife refuge. (laughs) Um, and in fact, Border Patrol has permission to use the back roads on the wildlife refuge that um, can access areas where um, no more death volunteers would have to walk for literally miles to get to the same areas. Um, and so U.S. Fish and Wildlife actively collaborates with Border Patrol um, to enable them to have access to the land. Um, and they use ATVs out on that land, um, which destroy um, very uh, uh, precious habitat. Sure. Um, and so the idea that uh, volunteers leaving water gallons are the biggest risk to the habitat um, is also something that is very questionable. And yet Fish and Wildlife will work with Border Patrol when they're destroying the habitat. That's so interesting. I, uh, it's amazing. You know, a, a priority, a hierarchy of litter, uh, felonious littering. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. Twi- twisting things around. Um Before, when I was preparing for this discussion, uh, I learned a word I had never heard before, quite frankly, the word tonk. Somehow I feel reminded of the term gook from the war in Vietnam. What the heck? Tonk? What's that? I mean, it's a word that we at UUSC and No More Deaths would never use. Um, It's literally a word created by Border Patrol um, to describe people who are um, crossing the border undocumented, and it's the noise that a flashlight makes when it hits someone on the head. So the um, the very identifying word they're using is based in them as Border Patrol agents being abusive towards the people they're detaining. Okay. Uh, Again, from The Intercept, Official, this is from, from their uh, publication, officials have also called for the prosecution of parents who pay to have their children smuggled into the U.S., whether an, organiz- an organization could be similarly targeted for efforts to prevent people from dying in the desert remains an open question. Talk about that, please. Um. I think that what's so important here is to realize that there isn't just a written law that is universally applied to everyone in the same way, um, that it's applied very selectively, and that it's manipulated um, both as it's written to, t- to target certain populations of people and also um, applied in ways, uh, even if they're written to be neutral, that target certain populations of people. And so... Um, yeah, we saw this under uh, the Ar- the Arpaio, um, the sheriff in oh, yeah. um, Maricopa County in Arizona, who was um, elected out a few years ago. Um, and then pardoned. And he was uh, charging people with um, conspiracy to uh, smuggle themselves if they were caught, uh, like, uh, hidden in a vehicle traveling through Maricopa County. Um, and so the the ways that these are being applied is just to get the worst possible, most severe possible consequence um, to anyone who is crossing the border. And the idea is that that's a deterrent, but um, we've seen 15 years of these different deterrents. Um, and without there being livable conditions in the places that people are um, leaving, right. then we aren't seeing deterrence being successful. 
Of course not. It doesn't 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 happen. And uh, as, as, could it be that that the U.S. border enforcement strategy, claiming it intends to use the risk of death as a deterrent to unauthorized migration, has actually caused a crisis of death and disappearance? No question. And I think part of what we have to face is that we are completely dehumanizing people who are undocumented when we can measure the number of lives lost to say this is worthy of being a deterrent. That if this number of people die, it's worth doing this policy. Um, and that's really the way that it's, it's being treated. Um, and the same for policies like uh, the policies for asylum seekers called Remain in Mexico, um, supposedly the Migrant Protection Protocols, which is um, a very surreal name for something that puts people in danger. Um, if people present themselves at the border in certain areas, um, instead of waiting either in detention or free in the U.S. Um, while they are they, their asylum proceedings continue, they're forced to return to Mexico. And uh, we know that there are people being targeted targeted and people being killed um, in Tijuana and in some of these other locations where they're forced to wait. In one place, they were forced to wait um, in a body bag factory um, as the only shelter that they had access to. Um, and so it's mm. it's all part of the same pattern of dehumanization of people, of seeing them as less than human. So if you can call a person an illegal instead of an undocumented right. immigrant, right. then that strips them of their humanity and makes um, these treatments more acceptable um, to the public eye or to the eyes of those doing it. Yes, we've seen a lot of dehumanization throughout uh, a lot of American history, unfortunately, with regard to uh, white settling of the West. And again, in, in Vietnam, you dehumanize the people, so it's, it's okay, just a body count. You know, it was, it, was, it was great when there was a high body count uh, during the Vietnam War. I guess I'm showing my age here. Now, now, the desert is huge. There are many Border Patrol agents, and it may be unrealistic to closely monitor the individual agents. Uh, Steve uh, Passament, a Border Patrol spokesperson in the Tucson sector, said the agency did not condone the destruction of or tampering with water or food caches. He said... We don't want to see anyone out there die. We have to do our enforcement job, and we do it as humanely as possible. We want to save lives, end of quote. Could the practice of destruction of and interference with aid just be deviant behavior of a few rogue border patrol agents? And again, brings me back to Vietnam when uh, a lot of the uh, uh, atrocities were said, oh, just a few bad apples. Your thoughts on that? Is it? policy, do you think? Or, or could it be just a few badly behaved rogue border patrol agents? Um, we're definitely talking about a system-wide problem here that reaches up into upper levels of the border patrol um, when issues of abuse are raised. And so, uh, you know, I want to mention that there are Border Patrol agents who are concerned about um, people losing their lives in the desert, who have said to No More Deaths volunteers that they found bodies and it horrifies them and they're grateful for the work that um, volunteers are doing. And so um, I don't want to suggest that uh, every Border Patrol agent has the same uh, attitude about it, but as an institution, the Border Patrol um, condones 
these kinds of abuses, like the destruction of water jugs. Um, in particular, I'll uh, share an example that there's a video of a um, very confrontational uh, agent who's pouring water out in front of No More Death volunteers and giving water to his horse. Um, and uh, it's all on video from one of the volunteers. We submitted it to the Border Patrol, and they um, refrained to do anything. And mm. then later, much later, it was on a PBS uh, special uh, report. And after that, this agent was fired. But it wasn't it being mm-hmm. brought to their attention. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that it um, was so public that they couldn't not do anything anymore. Mm. Sure. Ah, so many examples of, of good thing there's a video there. And you think about in the past before everybody had cell phones and could record that stuff. And again, border, and, and certainly not every border agent is as guilty. That's a very important point to make. But, you know, as they largely claim to be uh, professional in their work. Then again, there's Agent Albert Ballesteros. He was found to have openly inspre- expressed enthusiasm for the practice of waterboarding. Tell us about that, please. Is he just another rare bad apple, do you think, or just that that he got the attention? I mean, waterboarding? Whoa, that certainly is torture. There's a lot of evidence to show that we aren't talking about rare or even common bad apples, that we're talking about an institution um, in which this becomes the culture of the institution. Um, And so uh, from the Culture of Cruelty report, which was as long ago as 2010, um, you know, we saw over 10% rates of um, people being physically abused either during the process of being detained in the border or once they were in detention um, of people being denied medical care. Um, And so it's something that you can't attribute to a small number of particular agents. Um, And then you do have particular agents who are more egregious. Um, But part of the context is that there's a huge turnover rate in Border Patrol. Um, The people who can't tolerate uh, this kind of working environment don't stay. Uh Um, I don't know what it is now, but I know that when I was in Arizona, it was like 40% a year. And now they're trying to grow the Border Patrol so exponentially that it's really hard to find new agents. And so they're not doing the appropriate level of um, background checks. There are people being hired by Border Patrol who have a history of domestic violence. Um, And then in those conditions, you can really expect the um, scale of the abuses to grow and grow, especially when there are not um, consequences internal to the agency um, if the abuses only affect migrants. If there are things like getting found to be involved in drug smuggling, yes, there are consequences. But when there are abuses that only affect um, migrants being detained, then no. Well, that that, uh, spokesperson for the border agents, uh, Passamont, Steve Passamont, Border Patrol spokesperson for the Tucson sector, said if the groups which published the report had evidence of agents sabotaging humanitarian supplies, they should be they should, quote, immediately bring it to our attention because agents would be disciplined. What's your reaction to that? Sounds sounds good. I mean, uh, as I just explained in this example above with the video, the video itself wasn't enough. Um, it would really required it to be publicly exposed on national television. And so um, it's easy to say that, but um, we have enough experience to know that that isn't happening. Now, that said, we will. Um, I think that no more deaths will always first begin by presenting 
their evidence to Border Patrol. And it's only mm-hmm. when that mm-hmm. doesn't result in the desired mm-hmm. uh, outcomes that it then becomes a public issue um, and uh, exposed through things like these reports. On the case, uh, the Scott Warren case, which is sort of the uh, focus of attention now, and you know, it's often useful to have something like that. Tell us, let's, let's do a couple more things about that. Tell us about the motion to dismiss. What, what's going on with that? Might that happen? Um, I am not entirely on top of the motion okay. to dismiss, but I know that that does have to do with the selective enforcement uh-huh. question uh-huh. Um, of whether he was specifically targeted. Um, so then it wouldn't be equal justice under the law. Yeah, and that would be, uh, I would think, grounds for uh, dismissal. What, what would it mean if, what would a win look like in that case? And what, what might the effect on other cases be if there's some sort of a win? What would a win look like? Um, with the motion to dismiss specifically? Well, or just, just Scott Warren's case. I mean, I don't know. There's probably any number of different outcomes that could happen. Something that could be perceived by no more deaths as a win. What, what might that be? Um, yeah, I mean, the particulars of the motion are showing all of the evidence that Border Patrol and U.S. Fish and Wildlife collaborated um, in their surveillance of Scott Warren and in his ultimate arrest. Um, and... I think that if that was dismissed, that would certainly be a win. Um, I think that if it went to trial and he were not found guilty, um, that would be extremely important as a win because it would set a precedent for future charges as well. Um, With the volunteers that uh, were found guilty of leaving water on the wildlife refuge, there was so much public outcry that for the next four volunteers who were supposed to go to to trial, um, those charges were actually dropped, and there is a negotiated Uh um, settlement there. So I think that uh, even though what happens in the court is inside the court, it is influenced by um, how we respond um, in the greater public, and it's important to support the campaign to get the charges dropped. Absolutely. And and uh, people knowing about things really does make a difference. I mean, the government may insist it doesn't care, but they do. And, and having the public aware of it is something they largely don't want to do. Do you think that is the Trump administration escalating the targeting of humanitarian aid work in the borderlands? I mean, I know it was there before, but are they pretty clearly escalating it? I think that part of it is that the Trump administration is escalating the targeting of all immigrants. And I don't just mean all undocumented immigrants. I really mean all yes. immigrants, and particularly immigrants of color, oh, immigrants absolutely. coming from places besides Europe. Yes. Um, and so... Uh, that contributes to humanitarian aid work being targeted, um, but the humanitarian workers aren't the primary target. The primary target mm-hmm. is really um, people who are immigrating with or without legal permission because they're trying to change uh-huh. the legal system to get rid of things like the diversity visa um, and to make it harder for family members to um come to the country legally through petitions um, from their family members that are citizens. And so uh, what's happening to humanitarian aid workers isn't about them first and foremost. It's really about Uh the fact that they are taking a stand against this administration's policies towards people coming here seeking asylum or people coming here um, for opportunities. Yeah, that old give me your tired, you poor, you wretched refuse. Eh, That's old fashioned. Who needs that anymore? 
Oof, it's amazing the change. Well, what can people do? I I ha, I know there's a lot of different groups that are interested in in helping to address uh, the uh, the crackdown on on immigrants and and migrants like this. Hias, for for I know is a, is a Jewish group. Uh, do, do you work with uh, other humanitarian groups on this? Um, so with Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, we absolutely work with many groups, um, and some of that collaboration through the Interfaith Immigration Coalition does include HIAS. Um, in terms of what people can do specific to yes. the case of Scott Warren, sure. um, they are asking for phone calls um, to the um, Attorney General to drop uh-huh. the charges. You can find information on that at nomoredeaths.org. Org, um, and there are many uh, additional asks at nomoredeaths.org um, to support Scott Warren's particular case. In terms of this larger issue, it's happening in all of our communities that immigrants are being criminalized. And so getting involved in local accompaniment programs that go along with people to their court hearings, um, either at immigration court or at uh, district court for something like a driving without a license charge when someone can't have a license if they're undocumented, um, getting involved in local campaigns to um, increase sanctuary cities uh, and yes. increase policies that um, reduce uh, ar- arrests for um, for things like uh, driving without a license um, at the policy level are also really important. And just finding out who's organizing in your community, what are the things that immigrants in your community are concerned about and organizing around and supporting whatever their priorities are um, is really the model that we promote here um, because every location is different, the needs and the context is different, um, but the issues are true no matter where we are. And there must be at least one website to which you can point people, the uh UUSC and uh, others? Absolutely. So for more information from uh, the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, you can go to UUSC.org, and we do have a series of online actions as well as information about how to get involved in local accompaniment and expanded sanctuary work. And um, for information on No More Deaths, um, Mm. go to nomoredeaths.org. Um, and they also have a series of online actions. Mm, mm, amazing stuff. Well, I have to believe that most Americans resonate with humanitarian aid and think it's it's the right thing to do. I, I, I have to believe that there's a, a lot of humanitarianism. Crackdown on humanitarianism, making it a crime. Mm, I, more people find out about it the better it will be. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's uh, good to uh, learn about this stuff and share this information. Thank you. Yeah, and the more of us that get involved, they can't arrest us all. They can't prosecute <laughs> us all. So um, we are safety in numbers. Safety in numbers. That's true for sure. Thank you again so much for being with us and for the work you do. Thank you. All right. Thank you. It was great to speak to you today. Some humans ain't human. Some people ain't kind You open up their hearts And here's what you'll find A few frozen pizzas Some ice cubes with hair A broken popsicle You don't want to go there 
Some humans ain't human Though they walk like we do They live and they breathe Just to turn the old screw They screw you when you're sleeping They try to screw you blind Some humans ain't human Some people ain't kind